It's so nice to see you. Welcome nice to, see to season you, two. And welcome to season two. I thought we could clink glasses, but you have no other glass. I have no other glass. We'll just clink imaginary yeah, glasses. Well, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure the audience doesn't want to hear clinking glasses. Probably not. And I'll be honest with you. If they... Everyone should know. This Sonia Walker leads such a charmed life. I'm in her <laughs> home right now. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> and... The view is phenomenal. It's a good view, isn't it? It's an amazing view. Oh, she made me the best cup of tea. <laughs> this is like... This is English girl. It's, it's such an English... Yeah, it's, it's such an English... It's, it's probably the way either A, people are listening to the podcast, or B, imagine they're, the way they're listening to the podcast. It's the way the podcast should be listened to, is with a cup of tea looking out at the Pacific, i got to say. I think most people like me are listening to it in their car, raging in traffic, and praying that their kids will let them finish the podcast but anyway this is a good way to do it anyway but what a great way to start off season two Thank i'm you. excited You're i'm excited. so excited at last at last this one took a while to put together i i'm so finickety about having as wide a range of guests as possible and it means that curating that list just takes a bit of time and it takes a little bit of time to get hold of people and have them get back to you and i'm not complaining it's all great but it just meant that this took longer to get to than i wanted and i am thrilled about who we've got this year really really thrilled i'm thrilled about who you caught this year because i have a lot of questions about all of them okay okay but first of all let's let's think about the i'm playing the role of listener yes even though i know about all these already yes but the first one we have coming up is kate walsh kate walsh how would we know kate walsh well kate walsh you know and love from from mm-hmm. everything from grays to private practice to just being all around hilarious funny girl but what about this girl's trip um, which girl's trip? The movie. Oh, yes. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. So good. Sorry, I was thinking about, had she and I gone on a girl's trip? No. We did. We had a lot of adventures. <laughs> there are photos that she'll not be ever seen. That will never happen. I was, I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up. I'm going to keep quiet yeah. about it. Kate is, um, well, this was one of the fun things about this year, is there are, I was just looking over the list, there are so many good friends of mine that Mm -hmm. I interviewed for it because I just was suddenly thinking why am I reaching so far afield I have all these amazing interesting diverse talented friends who read books and Kate was the first one that I thought of so I actually wanted her in season one but she wasn't available uh Kate Walsh's books were really fun she's just a fun girl and a fun reader we've we've swapped books for as long as Mm -hmm. I've known her so we're always chatting and texting about things that we've read but it was lovely to actually and this was true with all the friends that I had Kate Walsh is one Nancy Baker Cahill is another Emily Mortimer is a very very old dear friend Piers Torday Dorno Porter all of these people are people that I have lunch and dinner with Mm -hmm. What was really fun was getting to sit down with them and talk about books in a way that A, we never do, and B, gave me a sense of their biography that sometimes with old friends you actually don't know about. You sort of skirted over big chunks of their history and you're like, yeah, yeah, you went to college, but you don't really know where or who their friends were, or you know, particularly if you've met later in life. So Kate was funny and moving and great and then hilariously texted me after the event being like wait I talked about this crazy self-help book called what women who run with wolves can you please make sure that that's not the 
takeaway from my from my podcast that people think I just read crazy self-help books. I don't think there's any danger of that because Kate's books are are just what Kate is, which is this mixture of earthy and grounded and sophisticated and very, very funny. So yeah, Kate was a Kate was a great interview to start with. She was just recovering at the time. She'd had major so, uh, shoulder surgery. Are oh, so you kidding? She was remarkably, um, first of all, game and great to want to dive in with me, and uh, woozy from drugs, I think. But you wouldn't be able to tell from the interview because no. she's a pro. Um, all right, moving on. Next, we're going to have Damon Lindelof. Damon Lindelof, who was the um, creator and, and, well, co-creator and showrunner of Lost. Mm-hmm. So that's where we go back to. And Damon was just glorious because I emailed him saying, any chance you want to do this? And by return, he'd email me back saying, yes, love to, nothing I'd love more. And we had a really great chat. I haven't seen him for years. And it was just fun to catch up and fun to hear his stuff. And we'd both been there to the... Um, Tanahasi Coates had just come to LA to mm-hmm. talk about his new book at the time and uh, and he and I had, it turned out had both been in the audience to the of that so that was kind of fun talking about that. He I realized and this is how long it had been since since an early interview and one of the later ones he also picked um, there's a repeat book which I've only just realized he picked the Underground Railroad as mm-hmm. one of his five and then one of my last guests Piers Torday who's one of my great friends also picked it which made me realize what I need is a little data bank of so that I can start cross-referencing who's already picked books and mm-hmm. when, so that we can talk about that because I think it's interesting when given that you know we've only got 24 guests in total and mm-hmm. everyone's only got five books each it's interesting when the repeats come already it's kind of cool well you know i just thought of this you know what i don't know if you ever mentioned this in the interviews or whatnot but were any of the interviews maybe particularly damon or kate were they like in interesting places or were they like kate we were at her house she was living in malibu at the time so that was an easy one we mm-hmm. nipped down five minutes to the end of the road and she was uh, right there so we were on the beach almost and oh, really? Damon was in his office and had just stepped away he is in the middle of creating HBO show of The Watchmen oh yeah so he very kindly took an hour out of his writing room which being married to a showrunner I know what a sacrifice that is mm-hmm. uh, so he stepped aside to give me that but that was fun sitting in his office surrounded by lost memorabilia and leftovers memorabilia and Watchmen posters and you know, the shows that man's created is no joke. So uh, I was really, really lucky to get an hour of his time. Okay, so the next one I'm seeing here is Danzy Senna. Tell us about Danzy Senna. So Danzy Senna is uh, a wonderful, wonderful novelist whose latest book, New People, is just fucking great. It mm-hmm. really is. Uh, it's dark and funny and sophisticated and beautifully written. And I met her through my friend Nancy Baker Cahill, who is a visual artist who comes up later in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also teaches at USC, Danzy. So she's just got a ferocious literary brain. I loved this, uh, this interview. It was so fun to do. She's just... A pleasure because we just got back and forth into books and and you know drawing parallels that I sort of hadn't envisaged between some of the stuff that she'd come up with. I'm trying to just remind myself what her books were. Oh yes, one of them was Easter Parade, which is a Richard Yates novel, and mm-hmm. I am a huge Richard Yates fan. People who listened to last season will know that one of my books was Revolutionary Road, mm-hmm. which he wrote, and this is a Richard Yates that I hadn't read that she raved about so much. That I came away and read it right away. And uh, it does not disappoint. I can see why it's on her list of five. Easter Parade, I cannot recommend it enough. It is so 
beautiful in the way that only Richard Yates does in mm-hmm. his sort of heartbreaking atomizing of marriage and relationships. So Danzy was Danzy. I was really grateful to because I got I got fabulous books out of her, and she was fun. We did it at the South Pasadena Library. And oh, that, in the library. Yeah, oh, we, got, we, we got a room that she told me on the interview is the room that she wrote the last words of New People, her latest book. Oh, interesting. Because she wrote in there all the time. And so it was a sort of special room to be in for us. It was great. Let me ask you this question, because this is the first person on the list that is in show business. Do you find a difference in interviewing non-show business people versus show business people? Yeah, this year I made a big effort. I felt like last year was very showbiz heavy, which was great, and it was fun, mm-hmm. and, 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 and a sort of... You know, those were easy people to get relatively, and I was thrilled I had them all. This year, I really wanted to have a wider range. So this year, we've got, you know, an architect, a historian, novelists, showrunner. We've got kids. We've got actors. I just wanted to widen the lens a little bit, and I will continue to. You know, next Mm -hmm. year, I'm hoping to get, you know, a musician and an astronaut and a conductor if I can get one. I just want to keep making sure that we're including as many different people and voices and interests Mm -hmm. as we can. So yes, a novelist is really fun to do because they're, and particularly ones that are as well read as Danzi or that are teaching literature, because their frame of reference is so wide, the depth of their reading. They haven't Mm -hmm. just read one James Baldwin, she's read all of them, you know, and it just makes it, it makes it really interesting. Danzi's also African-American and so there was, we had a fascinating discussion about race and the role of race, that's what New People is about, it's what really Danzi's writing is about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just a juicy juicy conversation that one all right moving on what about dawn o porter tell me about her dawn o porter dawn is wonderful dawn is presenter and a novelist and the just funny funny talkative energetic delightful human being uh she happens to be married to chris o'dowd the Mm -hmm. actor who is hopefully going to do season three and chris and i are both in get shorty at the moment which is my husband's show so that's how i met dawn and and we've got babies roughly the same age and uh she's just She's just energetic and ferocious and like dives back into work and has just had a kid and is already turning out the third novel or fourth novel, I think it is. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, um, and we met at her house in West Hollywood and it was heaven. I, 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 it went so, so fast, that one. Again, she's, she's funny and irreverent. And uh, one of her books is really, really fun. Dawn does a podcast about clothes. It's oh, not does. dissimilar to mine okay. in that it's basically about what are the clothes that define you. If you could talk about your wardrobe, why do you wear the things you wear? Historically, why did you wear them? Mm-hmm. It's great. It's a really fun podcast. And I think I'm going to be a guest on hers when she starts it up again. And so one of her books is was about clothes and it was really fun it's called legendary authors and the clothes they wore Mm -hmm. and it's a a photographic book of stylish authors and how is there a way to look at what they wore and whether there's some mirroring of how they wrote so Joan Didion Mm -hmm. and her sort of beautiful disheveled suits or Patti Smith or Truman Capote or any of these people and there's sort of photographs iconic photographs of them and then coupled with some, you know, stuff about their style, uh, their literary style, mm-hmm. and whether you can map one onto the other. So that was a fun, fun little moment. Oh my God, these, uh, Sonia, 
these all sound so exciting. Yeah. I think everyone listening is going to be like, release them now. Release them now. <laughs> you you're get gonna, one at a time. You're teasing everybody. You get one at a time. Let's move on to Barbara Bestor. How was that? Barbara Bestor is wonderful. Barbara Bestor is, a, is a, an extraordinary architect who's, I think, spaces are kind of defining certainly the West Coast right now. They're mm-hmm. big and bright and beautiful. And if you've been to... Uh, oh my goodness, what's it called? Intelligentsia, the one in Silver yes. Lake, for instance. That one is that her one. with the oh, really? beautiful Moroccan tile. Mm-hmm. And she's she's great. And I went to Barbara's office in Silver Lake, and which is also this kind of amazing reclaimed space with mm-hmm. exposed pipes and everything, and yet these stunning splashes of colour, beautiful bench seats and cushions. And I was just ready to move into her office. I really was. It was stunning. And fun, you know, architecture, not something I know anything about. Mm-hmm. So... And some of her books were architecture books, and some of them were just great fiction. Um, I'm just going to remind myself what she had. Yeah, some really fun architecture books. And then The Big Sleep, which was lovely, because it was the sort of love letter to L.A., which is where she, you know, very much sort of roots herself and where she roots her aesthetic. So talking about the overlap of architecture and literature and where they share a language where the interplay of light and dark can happen both in on the page and in a room Mm -hmm. and how she looks to always balance both in any room that she's designing so that's that was something that was really fun was looking for ways to talk about these all these different people's disciplines and how they map into their the books that they've chosen so as a visual artist with Nancy for instance we talked about the interplay between art and literature and how much you the author you the reader or you the um watcher of the art how much you're supplying versus how much the artist is actually giving you and mm-hmm. the, the filling in the gaps is really where the where the sort of magic and the alchemy happens mm-hmm. so yeah with Barbara it was really fun I, I, I and it was a little mini crash course in architecture but in in this sort of fun hopefully enlivening way where you're not dryly sitting through some historical study of architecture is it, just to take a, a step back here is interviewing these people I noticed that especially when you talk to them about the non-show business one it's weird it sort of feels like there's not that there's two different Sonias but the demeanor when you're talking about these is so interesting because when you're talking about your friends mm. people you know personally mm. that you, you know like Damon or Kate mm. there's a, a certain level of excitement there mm-hmm. but then when you're talking about people that you may not know as well but you don't know anything about their career there's mm-hmm. a whole new which I think which I think is probably why you're kind of meant for this. There's a curiosity, and you can hear that curiosity <laughs> bubbling where you're like, and she's an architect, and she has this office, and she has architecture <laughs> books, and there's levels of light and pillows. <laughs> oh, I only hear light and pillows, you know. But, um, and, and, and that's why I'm kind of interested to hear about the next person, because you referenced her a lot in this episode, mm. this preview episode, Nancy Baker Cahill. Yeah. You brought her up and up and up again. So I'm curious to hear about her. Well, Nancy is um, like my soul sister. Okay. Nancy and I text 1,400 times a day. If mm-hmm. I'm not texting Nancy, I'm texting Mercedes, mm-hmm. who's your and our mutual friend. Uh, so she's uh, both my beloved friend and ally and staunch supporter. So was so generous in emptying her address book and being like, here, meet mm-hmm. Danzi, meet John Burnham Schwartz, mm-hmm. meet, uh, meet Barbara Bester. She was just like, here is all, here are all these interesting people that I know. Until I turned around and said, well, you're the most interesting person I know. Could you do the podcast? Nance is a visual artist who's been working a lot in um, VR, uh, virtual reality mm-hmm. and AR, augmented reality, and is not only ferociously talented with uh, graphite and draws just 
to make your eyes weep, but then just has this extraordinary new app that she's created, which I put all over Twitter, called Fourth Wall, where you can take her virtual drawings and put them in your bedroom, in your hanging, hang them over the Pacific do one at JFK and then you take a photo of it and you can interact with it and then in a separate part of the app you can actually go into her studio and walk around her studio in this virtual way it's mm-hmm. it's completely pioneering and awesome and she's kind of a visionary and and it was really fun this was one of the ones that I felt like it was really fun because although she and I talk about everything from recipes to sleep remedies to annoying children mm-hmm. And we talk about books endlessly, but it's usually in a quick four-line text message. It's like, quick, have you bought this? Or I'm sending you this. To actually get to sit down and talk together for an hour about books and what they mean to us. And as I say, the overlap for her of where literature has influenced her as an artist, that's never a conversation she and I have had. Our podcast lasts over an hour. I could have done three hours with Nancy. It was so fun to like dive deep into a friend who you really think you know and get that much out of it so uh so yeah with good reason I reference her a bunch because I owe her a lot for Mm -hmm. this season and uh and I got a lot out of out of just our podcast now look winner of my favorite name yeah of this season yeah John Burnham Schwartz oh so good right so it might be the name I use at Starbucks from now on (laughs) (laughs) but Tell me about John Burnham Schwartz. So John Burnham Schwartz is a a novelist and elegant, delightful man who Nancy introduced me to and who runs the Sun Valley Literary Conference. So knows all the authors in the world, as far Mm -hmm. as I can tell, and lives in New York and happened to be in L.A. and very generously gave me an hour of his time. And it was it was really it was really fun. It was interesting to have someone who whose books were recognizable and they were very male which was interesting i mean all they were all men Mm -hmm. ford maddox ford chekhov Mm -hmm. oh no pat barker is a woman i take it back but she writes a trilogy about the first world war so i could Mm -hmm. be forgiven for thinking that it was a man um saul bellow and kurtzer um the south african writer so they were it was it was interesting because it was a sort of deep dive into male authority figures in literature and his relationship with them and his relationship with male authority and travel. He spent his youth in Japan or some formative years in Japan about which he wrote his, he wrote a wonderful book called Bicycle Days about his time in Japan, which is really great. It was his first novel published at age 21, which makes me want to shoot him. But yeah, it was it was really interesting interviewing John and Nancy very sweetly lent us her dining room to to record that one in, and so yeah, it was a it was a good podcast that it was it was not one I would have arrived at normally. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Oh, interesting. 
Now let's what, let's talk about Piers Torday. So Piers and I were at Oxford together. Oh, He's one look of at my this. oldest friends. And did he have his own cow in the pasture? He did that... not because he was at St. Cat's, oh. St. Catherine's College, which did not have cows or pastures. St. Cat's is one of the newer colleges. And um, but I would have happily loaned him my cow. Oh, okay. Pete, fun fact, and I don't know if it's in the podcast, he directed every play that I did at Oxford. At that time, there was a whole gang of us that all wanted to sort of do theatre professionally mm-hmm. at some level, and Piers wanted to direct, and so he directed all the plays. And then when I finished Oxford and turned 21, for my 21st birthday, I think I'm right in saying this, Piers wrote me a one-woman play, and we took it to the Edinburgh Festival together. And it went on at a really really shit time. I have a feeling we were on at like midday mm. in an attic somewhere at the Edinburgh Festival. So maybe four people saw it, but I think they enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I discovered, I discovered how fucking lonely it is to do a one woman play mm-hmm. because the play comes down and there is no one to have a drink with. There is no one oh. to go and talk to and say, oh God, that was shit, wasn't it? Or I wish that person hadn't slept the whole way through or that was cool. We did it to eight people today. Mm -hmm. It is the loneliest fucking experience in the world. Unless you've got no, nor had I until I was in it. Mm -hmm. And suddenly Piers wasn't in the audience anymore because God forbid he sit through yet another fucking production of it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, and I think the play, I should dig it out somewhere. The play was about a young actress. Remember, bear in mind, I'm 21 at the time, Mm -hmm. living in London, probably still at my mum's house. The play was about a young actress who comes to Hollywood and um, with these huge, huge dreams and ends up in some B-list movie playing the slave girl to Cleopatra in and fending off advances from predatory producers. Well, that's how I got my start. So, so it's sorry, that's all. Tale as old as time. A tale as old as time. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Which is in my new book about that time when I came to Hollywood and I was uh, Tarzan's mistress. Is that what you just said you were? <laughs> Cleopatra. Oh, okay. Where did Tarzan come in? Nowhere. That's oh. from your wild well, imagination. Look, that one app. Look. That's what I... You know what it was? What? Cleopatra's mistress. I wanted to be Tarzan's mistress. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I love that Tarzan. Uh, Amanda Foreman. Amanda Foreman is a historian, an amazingly brilliant, brilliant woman. I was thrilled to get her. She and I were supposed to interview face-to-face in New York. I got food poisoning, so I had to wait until I got back to L.A., mm-hmm. and it's the first phone interview that I did, so bear with me, listeners, if there are technical glitches on that one. But she was... Um, she's ferocious and brilliant and writing a book called The History of Women, just a teeny subject there, and so has this just wonderful point of view, Mm -hmm. really, really interesting point of view about women and where they need to be, where they need to be represented in history and where the Mm -hmm. gaps have come. And so talking to her about that and where where her own sense of having been overlooked came from, because often these big global views come from a deeply personal sense of of not having been seen or heard in Mm -hmm. some way. So that was interesting to talk about. And some of the books that she picked were very familiar to me. A Little Princess is a book that I loved as a kid. But her interpretation of The Little Princess was fascinating. Not one I would ever have come up with or arrived at. So that's been fun. So even when there are echoes of books, when there are repeats, as there have been with Underground Railroad, and I think Great Expectations gets picked twice, nobody's picking them for the same reason. It's Mm -hmm. really, really interesting. It just goes to show nobody's reading the same book. We're all reading our own versions of these books. 
now here's one that I'm particularly interested in. You interviewed some children. Yes. About their favorite books. Tell us about the kids. Well, this was a fun one. So a friend of mine called Tara came excitedly to me at a yoga class saying, I love your podcast. I love it. I've devoured it. I'm a fangirl. And then she just sort of wildly threw at me, what if you interviewed kids? What What if you... And I said, that's a brilliant, brilliant idea. I'm, I'm choosing yours. So she, her son, Jack, and his best friend, Hayden, who are 10 and 11, and then some other great friends of mine have the most delicious children called Iggy and Phoebe, who are brother and sister, who are 10 and eight. And I interviewed Jack and Hayden together and Iggy and Phoebe separately. We're gonna compile them and put them all into one episode. But it was really fun to see the enthusiasm with which an 11 11 to eight year olds were talking about literature, that they, the excitement, the desire to communicate to me how much they were loving these books, the sort of, effort that had gone into curating their lists and the sort of passion with which they told me about the ones that they couldn't quite decide between and it was honestly just it was moving it was enthralling I wasn't if I'm really honest I didn't care about the books they were telling me about because none of them were books I'd read they were all very very contemporary books so I didn't know many of them what I loved and what was completely contagious about these kids was the absolute love of literature that they have and that and where that came from and talking to them about where they get their books where they get their recommendations from whether they reread books or only read them once jack only reads a book once because he says then he's done with it and he knows what's going to happen so there's no joy in it for him whereas i think iggy and phoebe passionately reread books and can't get enough of the the sort of comfort pleasure of knowing what's to come it was comforting for the generations to come to know that there are kids like this out there that are this articulate and this this empathetic. I know three of these four kids. Yeah. All right. Iggy and Phoebe, and I've gotten in trouble for saying this, should not be held to the stand. I mean, like... No one should be held to their because yeah, They're so, very special children. Yeah, Agreed. Yes. I've gotten in trouble for this. Yes. So I will say no more. Yeah. And Jack, you know... Uh, Tara was telling me, she approached me as well and told me how much she loved the podcast. Yeah. And so she had me talk to Jack. Uh-huh. And I was surprised by, not necessarily that the books were, he wasn't reading, you know, Zadie Smith. Right. But it was a, it was a book, it was Ready Player One, which yeah. I was surprised at, like, oh, wow, 11-year-old is reading Ready Player One. Right. How interesting, which I know it's, it's sort of like a cheap, pulp fiction-y kind of book, but I can't wait to hear the interview, but... Um, I think I'm very curious to hear the books that they choose. Actually. Yeah. That was when I heard even just because, you know, actually, I went to Phoebe. Mm-hmm. My niece is around the same age, has the same sort of taste uh-huh. in books. And I said, listen, it's her birthday. What two books should I buy her for uh-huh. her birthday? And Phoebe said, this book, it was like, boom. Yeah. She asked me, like, what? And she was like, what books does she like? And I named oh, the books so she liked. Sweet. And she said, this and this. Wonderful. And which I can tell you right now, were a book called Drama, which is like a graphic novel. Okay. No, and, not one she um, mentioned. Timothy the Liar. Okay. Again, not one she mentioned. No, no, Timmy Failure. I always call it Timmy the Liar. Timmy Failure. Okay. And my niece loved them. Oh, good. My niece oh, loved them. So, like, yeah, Phoebe's been writing like a little book, Go you know, Phoebe critic. Phoebe with your recommendations. Yeah. That's great. I told her that. So, yeah, the kids no, should be very do. excited. They, they, all, they all, listen, all four of these children throw off the grade curve for absolutely everybody else. We can't hold our children to this level. Except that except that at some level we can. I think if, if there are kids out there reading like this, it's just thrilling. I mean, 
I don't know. The more we read, the better it is. I can't tell you how many tweets I've had or sort of little messages saying, thank you for the podcast. I went and bought Portrait of a Lady over Christmas and I've loved it. Or I'm reading more. Or I gave my mum this podcast and mm-hmm. now, and she's furious because she didn't like Americana either or <laughs> she didn't like whatever it is, you know. And, and it's really, I feel like the mission accomplished. If I've got three people reading and if I can encourage one more kid to go and mm-hmm. pick up a book, so much the better. Okay, and uh, it looks like finally Emily Mortimer. So Em is another really old friend of mine. Em and I were at Oxford together, but not at the same time. She left just before I got there. And we've been friends for 20-something years. And in New York, we sat downstairs in her basement, and I couldn't get the microphone to work. So God knows what the sound quality is like. Deep, profound apologies if if it's really crappy. But if it isn't... um, So we just leaned over the laptop and talked into that and sipped tequila and talked about books. And again, it was that same experience of just... It being so lovely to dive deep with an old, old friend and hear Em talk about her beloved dad, John Mortimer, who was a famous novelist and prolific novelist and beloved in England, who wrote about a lawyer called Rumpole, Rumpole of the Bailey. And uh, John Mortimer himself was a lawyer. And Em, you know, I've always known about Em's deep, deep love for her dad. But just hearing, I didn't know that he'd read to them. I didn't know that he'd read Dickens to them as kids. I didn't know that she had a book and she pulled it out in front of us, a book that he had read them, as, or her particularly, as a little one, and that she'd made sure she got her hands on. So now she reads it to her children and it's a book that's long out of print. And it was very touching and really, really lovely to hear. And, and also, no one tells a story like Em tells a story. I mean, maybe Jared Harris is as good a record on her but not many and M's memory for detail ability to tell the most sort of mortifying stories about herself but with so much grace and good humor and generosity hers is a great podcast it's full of glorious glorious toe curlingly funny stories look you make me so excited I mean I'm lucky I get to listen to all of them Whenever I want. Mm-hmm. You hear that, audience? I get to listen to all of them <laughs> whenever I want. But they, they're being parsed out. You know. You get one at a time. They're being yeah. parceled out for the audience a week at a time. But um, what are we missing? What, what else should we know? What are so, we going to love? What are, well, what are the big moments? There's, there's, well, big moments, I don't know if there are any big moments. I tell you what's fun is that I think we get to talk in a couple of areas that I feel really delighted about. We get to talk about race this time, which I which is was thrilling to me and mm-hmm. fun and, and interesting and provocative and particularly given the like moment we're living in, that felt great. Mm-hmm. I think getting to talk about gender and the femaleness again in this moment that we're living through, particularly with Danzy, particularly with Amanda Foreman, those felt really provocative and interesting interviews. Piers is gay and talking to him about Alan Hollingsworth. Interesting. What's his number? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, one, one, four, four. Um, And talking about, you know, being gay and finding gay literature and what the impact of that on him was and the sort of permission that it gave him. I feel like we, we, you know, it's, it's an interesting and wider, broader selection. And yet sometimes we go really deep into Mm -hmm. books in a way that I find really, really fun. 
I also wanted to make a note of some of the books that I read as a result of having done. Oh, we left our favorite part. Yes. What is it? So, well, one is the cookbook you recommended last year, Six Seasons, Joshua McFadden, obsessed, Mm -hmm. completely obsessed, huge plug for that cookbook. If you're into cooking, Six Seasons is magnificent. I was worried that it was just going to be vegetables and I'm a big protein girl and it's not, it's got everything in it and it's beautiful and my whole family's eating well. Thank you, Joe. You're welcome. Scarcity is a book that Cass Sunstein raved about in his podcast last time, and I'd made a note of it, and I finally got around to reading it. That is, I'm sorry, if you told me that I was going to be raving about a book written by behavioral economists, I would have laughed in your face. It's amazing. It's fascinating. It's about how having a scarcity of money or time literally affects your mind's ability to process information. So if you are working from a place of scarcity, you are only going to create more scarcity because your mind doesn't have the bandwidth to create to process more information. It literally can't take any more in because it's so busy balancing either bills mm-hmm. or uh, your time management that there isn't bandwidth left over to make big creative leaps so that to me was i've just praised it wait hold on i want to push back here a little bit so wait is the solution then all right step one get rich no (laughs) step one is create pockets where you can breathe so if you're someone that's really really time crunched even though it feels like you do not have an hour to spare Mm -hmm. give yourself that hour because that is actually where the creativity will come from Mm -hmm. Uh, and similarly with poverty it was about it was actually more incumbent on governments to create a situation whereby people are given a lump sum rather than dribs and drabs of tiny bits of money here Mm -hmm. and there give them a pocket of elasticity with which to make better decisions because just having that breathing space is then going to enable better decisions to be made for the long term it's a really really interesting book I read Cows, which is Dorno Porter's book, The Cows, which is just so funny and such a fun read. You race through it. And I read it before doing her interview. I hadn't finished it in time. And then I finished it and wanted to make a note to tell people how funny and great Dawn's book is. Oh, and The Bluest Eye, which is a Toni Morrison book that I guess everybody read except for me. Um, I guess it's on school lists, but it was something that Robin Cost Lewis had talked about. And I finally got to it. And I am, I'm just beloved and the bluest eye i i just have no words for what tony morrison is doing those those books are absolutely extraordinary okay well you know what i you know we've asked you on the last time i interviewed you uh, uh, the big questions but in the past year have you thrown any more books across the room my favorite question by the way i know you know what i didn't get too many follow-up questions this year i'm gonna say that this year the people were so engaging they really really were that it felt trite to start jamming in questions so forgive me this year guys if you've really loved those follow-up questions Mm -hmm. i'll put them back next year but for this year we really just tended to talk about the five books and then your desert island book the last book i threw across the room i haven't thrown any i what i have started doing that i love is i've started keeping a list of the books that i've read this year and i'm on book 22 already and it's april so that's a good year so far but the only book I haven't finished is a book called Outrun by Amy Liptrot. And it's it's a sort of memoir of a recovering alcoholic or a recovered alcoholic. And I feel like I've read a lot of those. And they unless there's something extraordinary happening, mm-hmm. it's basically the same story every time of sort of deep despair, 
you know, family that are completely over them and yeah. recovery. And I just, I'm done with that. I'm yeah. done with that. So I didn't throw it across the room. I just gently put it down. Mm-hmm. That was what I did. Yeah. Well, Sonia, as always, this is the most wonderful thing I ever have to do. I am so excited for this season to come. You guys are in for a real treat this season. If you love season one, you're going to love season two even more. I think so. I hope so. Listen, download, subscribe, tell your friends. And um, yeah, and and shoot me suggestions, guys. If there are tweets, I mean tweets, if there are books you want to know more about, if there are people you want to hear from, if there are ideas for guests that you have, mm-hmm. let me know. And the other thing to know is there is this gorgeous website that we've made, which is oh, tell me about it. bookishwithsoniawalga.com. And can they contact you there to make these suggestions? You can. You can tweet me or you could hit um, hit the contact button there and an info at bookishwithsoniawalga.com. Okay, so info at bookishwithsoniawalga.com. Yep. And what's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Sonia Walger or at Bookish Sonia, either one. Oh, okay. And then to. say that website address again. Bookishwithsoniawalger.com. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, those kids are in the back of the van. Yeah. Throwing their <laughs> McDonald's milkshake. But go to the website because we have not only a full list of all the guests, but also the full list of not only their five books, but every single book that we discuss on the podcast. Oh, wow. And you can listen to the podcasts on the website. Oh, wow. So there's an embedded player. So you can get all the information there because I often get friends saying to me, oh, I loved listening to, you know, Cass Sunstein and he mentioned such great books. Where can I get the info? That's where you can get the info. Every single book we mention is listed on that website and laboriously transcribed by the wonderful people in my life. Uh, And so... Yeah, go and make the most of it. Oh, you got your Twitter handle, you got your web page, what else? Uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook page now, mm-hmm. so you can go there and find Bookish with Sonia Walger, and there'll be, um, there's already got some old photos of me reading as a kid, there's different pictures, hopefully there'll be pictures of all our guests, if mm-hmm. I can get them, either a picture with me, but I'm really useless at this. I'm supposed to take selfies at the end of every interview, and every interview I'm so busy saving the interview and making sure I didn't accidentally delete it, <laughs> that I forget to take a selfie. So, um, in which case, I will get my guests to send in pictures of books and if you guys have got pictures of you reading then you can post them on the Facebook page it would be really lovely to have some more back and forth with the listeners alright well Sonia Walker we're looking forward to season 2 of Bookish and by looking forward to it I mean everyone listening I already know about it I'm special (laughs) they're not thank Uh, you thank you bye everybody bye